Yeah, she says to the old man, how did it feel when the ferry disappears? And the old man, <laughs> says, and the the old, and the old man says, it's so long ago I don't really remember, he says. Not what on earth's a ferry. Hello and welcome to the Booker Prize podcast with me, James Walton. And me, Jay Hamia. And today's subject is the Booker Book of the Month for October, which is The Memory Police by Yoko Agawa, published in 1994 in Japan, in fact, but the English translation by Stephen Snyder came in 2019 and the book was shortlisted for the 2020 International Booker Prize. It's also set to be adapted into a film written by Charlie Kaufman, who co-wrote Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, uh, a film with a theme of memory erasure, which, as you'll discover, or perhaps may already know, is not insignificant in the circumstances. Uh, The winner of the 2020 International Booker Prize, incidentally, was The Discomfort of Evening by Mareka Lucas Reinveld, translated from the Dutch by Michelle Hutchinson, and a book, as they used to say, that's not for the faint-hearted. Also on that shortlist was Hurricane Season, a Mexican book by Fernando Melkor, translated by Sophie Hughes, which uh, Joe assures me was a cult hit among younger readers. We should also say that The Memory Police was chosen as a book of the month because of some research commissioned by Booker earlier this year, which revealed that among translated uh, novels into English, the ones that have sold the most for the last two years are those translated from Japanese, with readers under 35 leading the way. So with all that being said, James, do you want to tell us a little bit about our author, Yoko Ogawa? Yes, uh, Yoko Ogawa, born 1962 in Okayama, went to university in Tokyo, uh, got a job then as a medical university secretary, which she gave up when she got married, as was the style of the time. And then um, while her husband worked, she wrote. Uh, interesting detail here, she didn't intentionally keep it secret, uh, she said. The husband only learned that about her writing when her debut novel, The Breaking of the Butterfly, received a major literary prize in Japan in 1988. Um, since then, she's written more than 50 works of fiction and non-fiction, only a handful of which have been translated into English, all of them by Stephen Snyder. The most famous, perhaps, being The Housekeeper and The Professor, where again, significantly, you'll see memory coming into it again, The Professor has only 80 minutes of memory at any given time, um, and her books have won every major Japanese literary award. Just add one biographical detail relevant to the memory police, and this is from a New York Times profile, um, which says that Agawa discovered the diary of Anne Frank as a lonely teenager in Japan, and was so taken by it that she began to keep a diary of her own, writing to Anne as if she were a cherished friend. And to conjure the kind of physical captivity that Anne experienced, a girl would crawl notebook in hand into a drawer or under a table draped with a quilt. Uh, uh, And you'll you'll see why I mentioned Anne Frank when we turn to the book. Uh, Joe, would you like to summarise it? So, the memory police is narrated by its unnamed protagonist, who I think we'll just refer to as the narrator. The narrator of the memory police lives on an island which is uh, kind of terrorised actually by this force, the titular memory police, uh, who sort of govern disappearances which occur on the island. And these disappearances are um, material, but they also occur in the um, minds of the people who live there. So initially they are quite small you know perfume or ribbons or um certain musical instruments like a harmonica but they gradually grow in scale and that's something we'll go into later so against this backdrop we have our unnamed protagonist who has quite a complex family history i think her her mother at some point um was taken away by the memory police and returned and her body was returned to the family. She died under quite mysterious circumstances. And the memory police basically arrest people who remember. That's the that's the problem, isn't it? Yeah, it is. They also arrest anyone who uh, is 
found to be hiding objects which are supposed to have disappeared from the island. Um, they regularly ransack people's homes. They can be read as a kind of allegory for a fascist state, essentially. The narrator of the novel is also a novelist, funnily enough, um, who works with an editor called R. R happens to be one of these people on the island who can remember everything despite it having disappeared. Um, and the novels that she hands him uh, frequently have a theme of loss or forgetting or disappearance. So in this book, she is working on a novel about a typist who has lost her voice, which takes a kind of quite dark turn midway through the book. The narrator is also sort of in absence of her mother and father, is, is friends with an old man who essentially used to be her family's handyman, is kind of how yeah, I read and, uh, it. Yeah, nurse's husband, I think. Yeah. yeah, the old man is a former ferryman, but um, at this stage in the book, boats have disappeared. So they sort of hang out on his boat, even though boats are supposed to have disappeared. Well, come on to that too. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm not surprised you're struggling with it, Joe, because it is, it is a deeply mysterious book. But, but R does remember, doesn't he? So. Yes. And they, and anyway, he is the closest she has to family. They spend time having dinner, reminiscing. They often have quite philosophical com conversations. One day it is sort of announced as a mass campaign that the memory police will be rounding up anyone who remembers anything they're not supposed to. And uh, we get the sense that these people are being effectively killed, even though um, the memory police insist that they are simply being experimented on. In any case, R being one of these people who remembers um, is in great danger. And so the narrator, with the help of the old man, uh, constructs this tiny, hidden, quite cramped room in her house to hide him in. Which is why I mentioned Anne Frank, see it's all coming together now. <laughs> um, which he accepts because his wife is uh, pregnant with a baby and if he's in danger, then she's in danger. Despite this, I think the the three of them, the narrator, the old man and R, they, they do manage to make the best out of a bad situation. They become a kind of quasi family in and of themselves. But meanwhile, the disappearances on the island are, are getting greater and greater. One day it's revealed that novels are the next thing to disappear, which leaves the narrator at quite a loss. She then, funnily enough, picks up a new job as a typist while still hiding R, who insists that she should force herself to remember how to write novels and to retain what novels are. Um, and this, I think, is a kind of great overarching way to address one of the um, book's dilemmas, at least for me, which is, do these people actually forget anything or are they forced to forget things? Um, and how does memory in this book actually function? Thanks, Joe. Yeah, pretty well done in the circumstances because it is a mysterious book. And I think one of the reasons it's quite difficult to come to terms with is the English title, actually. It, yes. The Memory Police, it's called in English. Um, in Japanese, I believe, though my Japanese is not tip-top, uh, it, 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 it's The Secret Crystallization, which is actually the, what, the, what the French... Uh, in, in France, it was published as La Cristellation Secrète. See, your Japanese sounds a lot like English to me, James. <laughs> yes, no, indeed. And, uh, and uh, that's but my French sounds quite, quite English, too. <laughs> anyway, Cristellation Secrète, uh, The Secret Crystallization. The Memory Please is a sexier title, obviously, but uh, is it truer to the novel? Because the, I mean, the English one immediately makes people think of Orwell's Thought Police. 
And I, I, I reached myself for the old Milan Kundra quote about um, the struggle of man against power. It's the struggle of memory against forgetting. And Western reviewers did quite a lot of that, I think. You know, saw it as a novel about totalitarianism. And because of when it was published, quite a lot of the US uh, reviewers you know, talked about how it's especially relevant to the age of Trump and all that stuff. Uh, or if they wanted to be a bit more international, you know, it was about Japan's forgetting of the war. It was published in 1994 in Japan with the 50th anniversary of the end of the war approaching. And, and Japan still, I think it was still officially discouraged at the very least that people should mention what had gone on in Korea and China during the war. The Japanese, but, I, but I, my feeling is that seeing it as a book about totalitarianism and an Orwellian dystopia and all that, and particularly seeing it in the age of Trump, is a bit like, you know, when people look in pitta bread and see the face of Britney Spears or something, you know, that, that human urge to see something recognisable. When actually it's just a lot more mysterious than that. So you'd read in US literary journals like the government announces novels are next to disappear. But, but, but the government doesn't announce that. In fact, there isn't, isn't a government. These things just disappear. And, um, and, and people will not take a word for it either. There was another US review which says, according to her interview with the New York Times, Agawa had not intended to write a political allegory. But this is where the success of the book lies in its ability to comment on the enduring human spirit in the face of priest brutality. So that's that's what we you know that's what Western reviewers wanted it to be. But it, but I, you know I just think it's more mysterious than that. It, it, it doesn't quite fit that Western reviewers' desire to see it as a sort of Orwellian story. What do you reckon? Um, I think that's totally right. And I got really thrown off while I was reading this book because I kept searching for you know references to anything like the Nanjing massacre or unit 731 experiments and they never ever came and I, I swear there was such great potential for me to be disappointed with this book while I still had the title in mind and only when I realized that this kind of great political fable was never going to come did I actually start enjoying the book that being said I don't think it's an allegory for nothing or that it, it can't be an allegory for anything because I found myself thinking so much about what digitization has been doing to my life, that kind of process of taking material things away from me, like money. Like I keep kind of, whenever I take cash out of cash machines, I forget that I have it because I no one uses cash anymore. And you know, it ends up in a pocket or a bag. And when I find it again, it's like a foreign object to me. I have no idea where it came from, oh, gosh, that's interesting. what it's doing there. And, and that's because I'm just so used to kind of tapping, you know, card machines with my phone or my debit card. Because that, that's really interesting. I, I must admit that hadn't occurred to me. But in fact, if you think the book was published in 1994, yeah. some of the things that disappear in the book are maps. Yeah. I mean, when was the last time any of us used a map? There's photos. I mean, I, I, again, I can't remember the last time I saw an actual photo. Yeah. Uh, the stamps. I, mean, I suppose there are still stamps, but but letters are There's far less part of life. Stamps, this, this... I guess, are kind of like a collector's item, almost in the way that yeah. you know some of these forgotten objects are collected by the narrator's mother or by later on R in his attic. Um, they become curiosities as opposed to something that you actually live your life with. Yeah, and th and they've completely forgotten about. And, and something else, because this book was being judged uh, in 2020 and, you know, COVID was rampant and lockdown was around, life was gradually disappearing from everyone then. There was a great deal of uncertainty about what the outside world looked like because everyone was stuck in their homes. And so I think it's it's more the case of kind of unlocking the 
right point of connection with this book. I mean, there's an argument to be made that it's actually a really great environmental novel because a lot of the natural world goes missing in it. Like fruit disappears, there's a scarcity of vegetables, um, roses disappear at one point, the narrator walks around like a barren rose garden, which is a particularly striking image. Um, certain types of animals and it's it's really hard not to think of the climate crisis when you read those instances indeed, indeed, in this indeed, book indeed. because that's that's kind of exactly what's happening to us now but do you think you do you think we're meant to mind about forgetting because in a way the narrator's caught between on the one hand the old man who's quite relaxed about things disappearing he thinks that you know that's it says at one point there's nothing too terrible about things disappearing or forgetting about them she says, would you like to go back to your old life? And he says, no, not particularly. Mm. Um, and most people in, in on the island, as far as we can see them, seem to be like the old man. They get used to things disappearing without much fuss. So does the narrator, actually, because life sort of goes on, doesn't it? Birthday party, she gets a dog. Uh, she takes it to the vet, the waffles. Um, whereas R, the publisher, who does remember, thinks that forgetting decays the mind and that people's lives are getting thinner and thinner. Do you think we're being invited to think... The old man is wrong and R is right. Or do you think we're being asked to wonder which of them is? Because things do disappear in, you know, in real life right at the beginning. You know, as I say, our mother says things disappear from your life. They, they do. Yeah, but that kind of leads us on to my great conspiracy theory about this book, which is that no one's forgetting anything. <laughs> um, do tell. <laughs> well, it's to do with your bugbear about the fact that um do you want me to reveal my bug, bug, bugbear now yeah that's, that's okay, a great my, okay 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 my bugbear is whether it hangs to whether it hangs together really there's some mysteriousness that the deliberate like what if there is a government what on earth is it up to yeah again reviewers kept saying the government announces that such and such a disappear it doesn't actually there doesn't seem to be a government things just disappear uh, people then forget about them and if they don't the memory please come and get them but the narrator keeps saying things like, you know, I, I, I've completely forgotten about birds. But I don't think you can say I've completely forgotten about birds if you've forgotten about birds. Yeah. The old man continues to live on a ferry. And there's one point where she says to him, like, how did it feel when the, when the ferry disappears? And the, old man <laughs> says, and, the the old, ferry. and the old man says, it's so long ago I don't really remember, he says. Not what on earth's a ferry. I wonder if, if this is, let's put it as simply as a bit of a mistake by the author, but you have got a more sophisticated reading than that. Well, I mean, we could do a whole other part too to what we did in our episode with Hang Kang and ask whether this is a question of translation. Like, I'd, I genuinely wish I'd read at least a little Japanese to know whether, you know, in that version of the text, it, that's carried out differently, like a bit more subtly, you know. Maybe the old man says something more akin to, oh, on those great structures that we used to know, as opposed to, like, I don't remember what a boat is. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, my, my theory for this with the translation that I have is that no one is actually forgetting anything. No offence to Stephen Snyder, but that might be the fault of the translation or perhaps there's a way to do this a lot more subtly in Japanese than there is in English without, you know, prolonging the novel for an extra 100 pages trying to circle around the question of I, I don't, what I, I don't think we can second, I don't think we can say uh, that this book's probably great, but the translation's dodged, but, but partly because we don't know, <laughs> and partly because... I'm not trying to say that, well, you're the one saying that no, I, the concept I'm not. is dodged. I, I, no, but... I'm, I'm, I'm saying that the, the idea that these people have forgotten things 
is slightly undermined by the fact that they remember that they've forgotten them, which means they haven't forgotten them. Okay, let's just get on to my really okay. sophisticated you're, you're theory. Sort of... My my theory is that none of these people are actually forgetting anything. And I mean, it's not just one thing that makes me think that. Um, partly because of how the nature of this forgetting takes place, which is that, you know, all the inhabitants on the island wake up and there's some sort of thing. It's almost like a disease or an epidemic um, where they know inherently that something is wrong. But then they start searching around the island. They start leaving their houses to try and figure out what exactly the forgotten thing is. And more often than not, it'll be signaled to them by the memory police. You know, the memory police will be like walking around insisting that everyone burn their family photos or that they get rid of their birds ribbons or, yeah. or birds or whatever. Or, you know, the fact that, you know, the trees are dropping all their fruit or what have you and then they'll go ah okay so that means we need to participate in this act of forgetting and they voluntarily begin to burn more often than not or whatever it is that they're supposed to have forgotten so it's a very uh, kind of conscious thing I mean I wouldn't say it's exactly by choice because they are being controlled by a police state but it, it it's very much by individual design and there's this point late in the book um where R and the narrator are speaking and um th something has disappeared that I'm not going to spoil but he says you do go to great lengths to get rid of these things don't you um and she says I suppose we do but there's nothing to be done I'm sure that it will pass soon enough. I don't know how, but sooner or later, everything will fall back into place. And he says, but why would you do that? Why would you want to get rid of these things? And at that point, she does feel a kind of twinge of, oh, no, I want to remember this too, because the thing that she's remembering is of particular benefit to her. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some, some, some length to avoid a spoiler alert here, but I think we have to. I mean, part of this is kind of how memory naturally works like when I explained this book to my partner he went oh that just sounds like aging yeah. like that just sounds like everything I've ever forgotten but I didn't actually forget it like it is still there lurking somewhere in the back of my mind it's just that life took over and um the the very same sentiment occurs when early in the book the narrator and the old man are talking about a, a gardener who who can no longer garden and the narrator says, what will your friend do now? And the old man says, oh, well, at our age, there's no need to look for another job. So there's nothing to worry about with the memory police. He can just forget about tending roses with so many other things to occupy him, cleaning his grandchildren's ears or plucking fleas from his cat. All sorts of things, you know, yeah, all yeah, sorts yeah. of worthy occupations to, to to fill his time. But again, he can just forget about roses when roses are meant to have been disappeared from everybody's memory. So, so, I, I, so, so the two things are either... The book's completely flawed in the way it hasn't actually thought itself through. Or or you're right, which obviously would be annoying, that, that oh, yeah. in some way they have chosen to forget. I mean, could, could you even argue it's a book about the desirability of forgetting? Or, or, or at least the inevitability of forgetting. Things are going to disappear from your life. You might as well accept it. Otherwise, you're just going to cause yourself pain. I mean, I think that's a philosophy that the book does try to consider. But it's not a very attractive proposition like this is a question that the narrator puts to the old man in in the same conversation about the gardener friend she um 
says to him, at this point, they're talking about the fact that boats have disappeared, even though they're on the boat. And, you know, she's kind of saying to him, it's nothing more than a floating scrap of iron. Doesn't that make you sad? And he replies, it's true. I know that there are more gaps in the island than there used to be. When I was a child, the whole place seemed how can I put this? A lot fuller, a lot more real. But as soon as things got thinner, more full of holes, our hearts got thinner too, diluted somehow. I suppose that kept things in balance. And even when that balance begins to collapse, something remains, which is why you shouldn't worry. So I feel like he's not so much concerned with like the idea that, you know, f forgetting is okay. Uh, that passage to me seems to slightly back up your idea that... It, that I, mean, I think the thing is, it is a book of many things. I did enjoy it. I, I, I will. My bugbear has now been made, and I'll concentrate on the things I enjoyed about it. And the things I enjoyed about it were all the things it could mean. Yeah. Uh, only one of which is political allegory, I think. Yeah. Um, and and that one, I think, backs up your theory. It's about aging. When you're a child, the world just seems fuller, richer, and then when you're older, it, it thins out. And it's also a book. Well, it's a book about other. So a book in a way about nostalgia, about the the pain of nostalgia. Yeah. You've mentioned you've mentioned the fact that it's a book about uh, could easily be read as a sort of eco novel. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you said, and I hadn't spotted this that it, I don't, it this can't be deliberate, but it is a book that makes you think of digitization and all the things that have disappeared into our phones. And it's also a bit of a book about writing. And again, I'd, I'd suggest that we want to see it the way you know, again, like that sort of face in pitter bread. Um, <laughs> again, another review it says. Um, the message of the book is we must remember to write because she she turns to novel writing. That's another possible inconsistency, to be honest. She's completely forgotten what novels are because novels have disappeared. Yeah. R tells her to keep on writing and she bangs out the last 10 killer pages of her novel. <laughs> and then, uh, and, uh, and, but then, um, you know, the, 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 according to one reviewer, the message of the book is we must remember to write and write to remember to ensure the survival of truth. And, you know, again, that seems to me to be cramping something sort of enigmatic and dreamlike which this book is into something that's far more recognizable and easy for us to deal with and that sounds seems quite reductive to me reading this book did remind me of watching that film lost in translation which is about the irresist you know the irreducible mysteriousness of japan to to western visitors I, it, it could even be a novel about you know learning to accept the disappearance you could even have a, a thing where by the memory police are, are goodies but they're the ones who are taking all these pesky rememberers away who are making people's lives a misery when actually it'd be better to let things go i think i think that is going a bit far yes it is. yeah and also you have to remember when i'm tempted to go a bit too far her admiration for anne frank and her admiration for that anne frank is writing to create memory so, so yeah it, 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 it can't be that but 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 Anyway, I, I throw that in there. The only bit that um, that really sort of like provoked a intense kind of reaction from me was the fact that she starts sleeping with R. And I thought, oh, what a waste. Like, not only because, you know, R has apparently by this point, even though he's the man who remembers everything, forgotten about his wife and child. Yeah. <laughs> Just because this was a book about like a really great, friendship like the lengths you would go to to save someone that you love but it doesn't have to be romantic love like it can just be like you know there, there's a passage where 
she talks about our handling her manuscripts with exquisite care and that this is really touching to her because she can't imagine that you know anyone would really like no one really reads on this island like there's one library but you know I think maybe only three or four people have checked out her book the old man goes to find out although to him this is many the idea that these two could just have like a normal working relationship full of mutual respect and there'd be no sex involved was really really appealing to me um no, and then of course you know no, they I end up in bed together in an attic and <laughs> no, I must say I agreed with that I thought I, when that happened I thought oh really yeah because they were just you know they were just such good friends yeah, it was such a nice friendship and it was and also it doesn't really didn't do much with it really I suppose I suppose towards the end that we can't spoil there's a bit of what R means to her, but, but not really. Well, actually... But can, can I put it to you, Joe? I wasn't going to... Sorry, all I was going to say was that maybe... Um, I think we were about to go in, in two different directions, yeah. but maybe we can like briefly explore the idea that the, this book that she's writing throughout the novel has some kind of parallel with what's actually happening in the novel. <laughs> so the book is about a typist who loses her voice uh, turns out that her voice has been captured within a typing machine by her typing instructor. It's a bit of a tongue twister. And um, and he takes her to a kind of attic. Yeah, attic, yeah. yeah no, absolutely. Yeah, that's okay. attic. That's only just, I only just realised that as well. Yeah. Uh, um, full of disused typewriters. Once more with the attic, yeah. <laughs> and he says, you know, you're my prisoner now. I've got your voice pretty soon. You'll forget how to do anything, how to speak, how to fend for yourself, etc. And... I guess oh, well, this is kind of much darker than what is going on with no, R and the narrator. Sure. But, you know, there is that kind of sexual component there. There is that sort of component of writing for someone or writing to be understood. So I, th I thought I, that was I thought that was a portrait of a sort of abusive relationship in the end. His is the only voice she can hear. He's the only person she can see. Basically, the rest of the world is, but as, as he treats her more and more cruelly. It's my big question because I kept, you know, the the significance of the novel within the novel is is kind of I don't know. I, I maybe I was wrong trying to read it within the context of um, the narrator's relationship with R. I mean, it's another kind of form of oppression. Of course, these novels that she writes are small kind of fables about what's happening to this island but it's just so specifically like her own relationship and i could not understand why it's just not, one not, was oh, a tale oh. of abuse and the other was sort of like the opposite like her helping her very good friend slash slash illicit lover no, i mean ours, ours, are, ours are a cracking bloke yeah uh yeah no i i I'm... other than cheating on his wife yeah <laughs> but, it, but he is stuck in an attic and that's another thing why doesn't he just come out into the house from time to time the, the, the memory police aren't, aren't around all oh, the well, time I guess her house has windows and she has neighbours and neighbours dob don't I, they I think I know uh, uh, anyway but, you've but, never uh, hidden anyone James have you <laughs> no, well, I think I've hidden them in, in, a, in a floor you know at night I might just say you can pop out for in 10 minutes have a cup of tea anyway that's so risky uh, 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 no it's really not in, in the context of the book but anyway, I'm never hiding it, with you <laughs> can, I, can I put it to you Joe you say it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great philosophical novel what's its philosophy I mean, it, it, I'm beginning to I'm beginning to think the, I'm beginning to think that any attempt. So I've sneered away at all these people who say, "Oh, it's just like oh, it's just an Orwellian political dystopia." But then every theory I or you come up with to say this is what this book's about is seeming as desperate as that now by this stage, in a way. Um, I mean, you could argue it is okay. So it's a book about the pros and cons of fatalism. Say, you know, it, 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 the fatalism is a 
dangerous thing because it, it like the ego reading, it, it's dangerous to accept the loss of things, with, you know, because bigger things will get lost and that's a bad thing. At the same time, it, it's also saying actually just accepting the fact that things disappear is not so bad. In fact, it might be the only way to avoid suffering. Um, again, politics. We haven't spoken much about the politics, but partly because it, partly because it's not there. But, but there no, are but, none to speak about. No, but um, I, I mean, uh, Ishig- uh, and I can't claim uh, I'm no expert on Japanese literature. I've read quite a lot of Ishiguro, who is, let's face it, Japanese, and that's a big theme of his books, actually, when you come to think of it. Most, most specifically, in the buried giant, which the giant is the sort of what's happened in the past, and the question is, should we release this? And he, he said he. He, he, this is sort of allegorical because he was interested in, say, the way the French have managed to see turn their catastrophic war into, you know, the plucky resistance versus the Nazis, and rather than the French police rounding up the Jews. Or so, but, but is it better to remember what really happened or not? Yes. Well, I mean, they are very different books, but this idea of sort of. Um, is it there? Is it not? Do you remember? Do you? Is sort of present in um, another Japanese work of fiction that I read at the beginning of this year. It's published in 2022. It's called Diary of a Void by Emi Yagi. Um, it's about this woman who is getting uh, kind of, I guess, uh, discriminated against on the basis of gender in her office, you know, being given grunt work, um, being treated really badly. Uh, so she decides to lie about being pregnant for nine months, goes to antenatal classes, you know, puts a a kind of bump, like cotton bump underneath her clothes. But then as the book goes on, it's like increasingly unclear whether or not there is a baby there. Um, As much to the reader as to her and this kind of thing of, do you want it to be there or do you not want it to be there? I see very present in the memory police as well. And for me, I mean, all of these, all of the things that you've said could possibly apply, but I think it's a novel about what you choose to care about, if that's not too corny a thing to say. Like the, no, narrat- go on, go on. the narrator remembers how to write books because she cares about R and R cares about her. He's there encouraging her every day. You know, at the point where she's only able to produce a word, he'll look at the sheet of paper and say, this is fantastic progress. Go away and do it again. She writes a sentence and he says, this is wonderful. And she feels kind of flushed with love. And so she does this again until she's produced a novel. And then there's that really touching. Um, yes, it was very scene. unfair before when I said she bangs out the last ten pages. <laughs> it's kind of it is quite slightly agonising to start. Yeah, with. no one does. Um, and then there's that really touching birthday scene that you've mentioned that takes place in the attic just before the memory police kind of storm the house while Art's hiding there. And you know she's, you know, things are disappearing off of this island, but she goes shopping for like days in advance trying to collect gifts that she could give the old man, um, finding any kind of fish that she can to present on the table, um, you know. And in fact, R's gift to the old man is a music box, which is supposed to have disappeared from the island. And so these acts of care are actually what bring about acts of remembrance. And I, I was up to you right up to the acts of remembrance bit, because, I mean, I, th- I think that's right. I think there's any number of Beautifully tender scenes in it as well. But she does literally go, remember how to write a She book. does, but the music box doesn't work. They keep playing the music box and are saying, you know, this this will remind you of all sorts of things. And it just doesn't. They, I don't think that a philosophy has to be 
completely consistent to no, be true like no. what person is completely consistent and i think the fact is there is so little care in this book overall not just from the memory police but there are loads of instances of cruelty from people's neighbors you know like not even intentional cruelty but at some point the narrator is asked by an old woman whether um whether she has a hiding place which of course is already being given to R so she has to tell this old woman no I'm sorry and but she has to say I don't know what you're talking about in case case she's a sort of memory police spy so she can't say yeah I've got a cracking safe house for you (laughs) exactly (laughs) yeah yeah and there are so many points at which people consciously have to choose not to care in this book whether it's in regards to things that have disappeared or their own neighbors or the nature of their everyday existence and I think sure like caring won't always bring back these characters memory but in a way it it was really poignant to me the fact that um uh despite um the fact that the narrator's mother is dead um the only way that the narrator has access to a lot of the things that have disappeared from the island is because her mum cared enough to hide them inside the kind of sculptures that she used to make as an artist so that they could be preserved. Uh, well, okay, Joe, well, I think we've made the very clear point that this novel makes no clear points. And <laughs> No, you can't say that, James. It's horrible. No, 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 no. You said it was a good thing that it made no clear points, and it is in a way. And that is, that's, that's I don't it. know. It sounds like you're slagging it off. So uh, having made the clear point that there's no clear points that you can make even that there's no clear or something, uh, we, have, we now face the tricky task, normally a bit easier than this, of uh, who would you recommend this book to? This sounds like a really grandiose answer, but it kind of struck me that um, second gen kids who come from maybe like migrant or immigrant families would like attach a lot to this. Like, you know, parents telling them stories about where they come from, which is kind of what happened in my family. Um, And you're like, oh, well, I've never been there, but this has significance to me. And, you know, I have no tangible or material frequent contact with that aspect of my life and yet it's kind of hanging over me so I think it would appeal to um, them but I would say read it with a friend um, because probably as this conversation is revealed it's it's much more fun to talk to argue over um, than it is to just kind of sit endlessly puzzling about. Uh, yeah I, I, I think uh, I was gonna say that actually I'd recommend it to someone who would be able to, I'd be able to talk to, to about it so that we could work out what the hell it was all about. Yeah. And I, I, but I'd, I'd also, I think I'd, I'm very pleased to have read it, but I still don't know whether I, I just, no, I, I, it, it's, this is, I tr- I've reviewed books, the traditional thing to do when you review a book when you've no idea what the hell it's about, you say something like the meaning hangs tantalizingly out of reach. <laughs> <laughs> which, means, which means, basically is the poncy way of saying I was scratching my head by the end. But I think for me, the, uh, the meaning hangs tantalizingly out of reach. I think more than ever now, I want um, comments under this episode from people who have read it. Yeah, and if you happen to know what it means, that'd be great. <laughs> but, but actually, of course, we, we were saying that you're not meant to know what it means. You're meant, it's meant to start your mind racing in all sorts of directions. And it really does do that while containing some fantastic, many, many fantastic scenes. That's it for this week. If you haven't already followed the show, please do. And remember to leave a rating. You can find out more about our October Book of the Month, The Memory Police by Yoko Ogawa at thebookofprizes.com. And remember to follow us on, you guessed it, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Substack at The Book of Prizes. Also, we've recently launched a Book of Prize book club on Facebook. Um, so to find out more about that, head to facebook.com slash thebookofprizes. 
Uh, and please do let us know what you think the memory police is actually about. Yes, yes please do. Uh, until next time, bye. Bye. The Booker Prize podcast is hosted by Joe Hamia and me, James Walton. It's produced and edited by Kevin Miolo. And the executive producer is John Davenport. It's a Daddy Super Yacht production for the Booker Prizes.